You are listening to a sermon podcast from Kingdom City. We pray that over the next few moments, you will be blessed, equipped, and empowered to bring the reality of God to your world. Anyway, I want to share with you a different message, what I did this morning, and uh, it'll just be different. And uh, I want to share uh, a message called the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of infirmity. So we want to help. I, I just can't be here not do a bit of deliverance, so we've got to do something. So... Uh, Let's just have a read. We'll start off with a verse here, uh, Acts 10.38. It said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And He went about. Now, when God anoints you, it's not so you can just shake, you know, and have a sort of a funny time. Anointings are for service. So Jesus was sent by the Father. Sons are sent on assignment. So when we're born into the family of God, God has an assignment for us. And if you listen to what He's called you to do, maybe very simple, very small, very, no one notices, but that assignment God sent you, He wants to empower you to do it as well. And so always we are sent and uh, we don't wanna just do our own thing. We wanna hear what God is saying and then know that we were sent there. The city I'm in, I know God sent us there. And after we came there, people said, well, you'll never last here. You'll never do anything. Nothing will happen here. And we had a move of God and the church grew and just become the powerhouse in the city. So we need to know that we're sent by God, that we just didn't have a bright idea and say, God bless it. So Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost because He was sent by His Father with an assignment. And his assignment is partly referred to here. He said he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power, went about doing good, being a benefactor of the blessings of God to people and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So one of the key ministries of Jesus was the ministry of deliverance, setting people free. It's one of the five kingdom miracles that Jesus introduced. And uh, so he was anointed to heal people who were oppressed. The word oppressed means to use spiritual force and hold someone down so they can't stand up. And so it tells us or gives us an insight that uh, there are demonic spirits that hold people back, hold people down, resist them, oppose them, and literally bow them down with deep weights and burdens and bondage. And uh, it said, Jesus healed all who are oppressed of the devil. That's all who came to Him. All who came in faith, believing He would help them. And so Jesus' message constantly, wherever He went, and His, His ministry was about the Kingdom of God, demonstrating it. His message was about the Kingdom of God. And He demonstrated it through the ministry of deliverance. I wanna show you something before we get on to the story of the, the woman with the spirit of infirmity. I want you to look with me in Matthew 12, 28. Matthew 12, 28. Jesus has just delivered a young man, set him free from a tormenting spirit. And uh, there's an argument, of course. There's always arguments around deliverance and uh, people disagree, people this and that, whatever. And uh, so anyway, he said, this is what Jesus said. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's a very incredibly powerful statement. In making that statement, Jesus is saying, when he cast out demons, 
This was a conflict of two invisible kingdoms. Deliverance is a working of miracles. Deliverance is also a manifestation or uncovering and revealing of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, where God rules and his order and will is established in the earth. And so you notice there he says that the, the deliverance is a manifestation of that kingdom. So what happens when there's deliverance, you start to become conscious that there are two very real invisible kingdoms where there's a king ruling over a body of spirit beings or people. And Jesus described deliverance as being a clash of those kingdoms. So there's an invisible kingdom called the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom, the realm where Jesus rules. And that realm reflects who he is. So therefore the kingdom of God is always a kingdom of light. Things are out in the open to be seen, they're visible. The Holy Spirit is always the power source behind it. And Jesus always gets the glory for what is done. But there's another kingdom, another also invisible kingdom. And the prince being over it is Satan himself, fallen angel, ruling over a kingdom which is characterized by darkness, light, darkness, everything in the open, things hidden and concealed. A characteristic, a key characteristic of the kingdom of the devil or kingdom of Satan is it is a concealed or dark or covered kingdom. What is covered is what is the source of power and activity. It's always concealed. Until people really engage with it, then it becomes very much more apparent. And so the kingdom of, the kingdom of the devil is a kingdom of darkness, of secrecy and of hatred and rebellion. The kingdom of God, a kingdom of light, a kingdom of love, a kingdom where Jesus is honored and the Holy Spirit is the source of the power. Now these two kingdoms are not equal. They're not at all equal. Sometimes people get the idea they're equal. They're not equal at all. Because the devil can only be located in one place where God can be in all places. The kingdom of heaven is far superior. It is called an eternal kingdom. That means all other kingdoms will fade away, including the current kingdom that the devil operates in. He operates in darkness and with deception to draw people into bondage and destroy them. He seeks to deceive us, then defile us, then destroy us. That's his strategy all the time. But the kingdom of God is far superior. In the book of Revelation, it tells us there come a point in time where God will speak to an angel and the angel will take the devil and just throw him into a pit and keep him bound for a thousand years. Now that, that tells us he's not really got much authority or power compared to God, if God can do it so easily. So why does Jesus leave all these demons here? It's so you can grow and get strong. It's so you can have something to fight. It's true. It says in the Old Testament that they left, God left enemies in the land, the promised land, so the people of Israel who'd never learned to fight could learn to fight. How, how can you ever learn to fight if you don't have something to fight against? So I don't know why people get so intimidated by demons when actually they're bred for us. 
to... Well, it's true. It's true. You've got to get your thinking right. Jesus, Jesus said, when he talked about deliverance, he said, it's the children's bread. Now, of course, if he was doing this in Asia, he'd be saying, this is the children's rice. It's what you, you eat. It's your staple diet, casting out demons and dealing with demons. This is, this is our diet to get strong on. And if you've got a few demons hanging around you, well, probably you gave them reason to be there, but it's time you stood up and fight, time you push back, time you actually arise inside, become strong in your spirit and learn how to exercise the authority Jesus has given. Amen. So that's about the kingdom. So, so deliverance demonstrates the kingdom of God is superior. When, G, when demons saw Jesus, they were terrified of Him. They recognised Him. I know you. They were terrified. It's interesting in Luke 4, uh, the demon cried out and said, I know who you are. You know, and and the, the funny thing was the demon was the only one who knew who Jesus was. <laughs> Everyone else just look and he's some nice guy preaching, a nice word, you know, good word. But actually the demon recognised his authority and because they recognised who we are in the Spirit. Now, so, so when you got born again, the Bible tells us in Colossians, it tells us in 1 verse 13, it said, you were delivered or rescued, rescued, redeemed out of the power of the wicked one, the power of the devil and placed into a new kingdom under a new king, a new culture, new laws, new way of doing life. You, you actually are legally positioned somewhere else. That's what it means. You, you get saved, you are redeemed, you respond to Christ. He takes you out of one kingdom, puts you in a different realm. The big thing is to make sure you're no longer still entangled in the other old kingdom. That's where people have trouble. They stay entangled, stay entangled. So demons are afraid of Jesus. I remember I was in a, uh, uh, and I see it, hap- it happens to me. I often get caught out by it, but it does happen to me. I was in, just in the airport the other, yesterday. They, I don't know when it was, yesterday. And I, I, took, I looked at one lady and she suddenly scowled and glared at me like that. And, oh, it's just another demon manifesting. <laughs> the, la- the lady didn't know me, but the demon did. I remember I was in, uh, in, in, in Denmark and we'd gone to a wedding. My daughter was living there and we went to a wedding at the church. And, and on the way out, um, you know, it's a bit, it was a little bit boring to tell the truth. Anyway, on the way out, I saw they had a whole pile of chocolate. Oh, that looks good. They're for free. I'll grab myself a pile of chocolate, stuck them in my pocket. And uh, we went down to the railway station. I'm standing on the station, just minding my business, looking around. It's an electric station. It's got electrified railway lines and things like that. And the electric trains come backwards and forwards. So of course, you never got on the line. You never get off the platform. And I looked over to a guy over there and suddenly he stared at me and I knew, oh, you've recognised me. I could see his eyes light up and he fixed on me and I thought, oh, just look away. Maybe he'll just ignore it. And no, I saw him out of the corner of my eye and he got down off the railway stay, off, off the platform, down onto the lines, walked across all of the lines, which is like, hello. We could see a spark and then have a frizzled person in a moment. Anyway, got up and I watched him. He come up to me, then started yelling. And I try to work out, because his English is very poor, what he's saying, and, and he wanted to kill a policeman. So I could tell that he was really angry. He'd suffered some injustice. He was really upset, but he recognised, something in him recognised me. It was just the eye contact was all it took. And suddenly he's over. And, yeah, and then I'm thinking, Lord, now the problem is if I do a deliverance on him here, it can look, it, people can easily misunderstand what we did. 
<laughs> I think I punched him and hit him on the head and knocked him to the ground, but no, nothing like that. So I thought, Jesus, you just got to help me now. He's got a demon and I don't want to create a drama. There's enough already. And I suddenly, because you need to ask God for wisdom, how to handle stuff. And it's surprising how God can deliver people more easily than we think. None of be a lot of shouting. And I suddenly remembered the chocolates. And I, I said to him, sir, I have a gift for you from Jesus. And he suddenly calmed down. I said, please give me your hands. I took his hands, took all the chocolates, put them in his hands, closed the other hand over the top of it and smiled at him. And suddenly he just relaxed. He gave me a big hug, kissed on either cheek. And then he smiled and he walked away and went back again. And my family looked and said, what was that? <laughs> I just got delivered. It didn't took much. So there's deliverance. So there's, there's multitudes of people need help. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to help people who needed help. And you see, if you're dealing with the demonic, you can't give a person a pill to get rid of it. You can't counsel a demon out of a person. The only way it can go out is it's cast out. So Jesus said, if I cast out, if I force them to leave by the exercise of authority, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And so deliverance is a, is a manifestation of miracles. It's a manifestation of the kingdom, the reality of God's invisible kingdom. It's a manifestation of its superiority over the demonic kingdom. It's a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice what it says, if I by the Spirit. So when you get born again, you become authorized to operate and conquer any demon that's in the territory God gave you starting with your own life. That's the first place to start. Don't go worrying with demons and everyone else. Get your own one sorted out first. <laughs> well, why not? See, people need to recognise, if I have opened my life and allowed something in, now I'm in Christ, I can take a stand and force it to go. And that's what we need to do, learn to be fighters, learn to stand up and get some fight in us, some gunning. You do that, you learn to pray in the Spirit. Pray, rise in your spirit till there's a strength develops through prayer. You need to develop that because everyone will have these things come against them. And anyway, I wanna take you into a story. I wanna show you this uh, uh, a ministry here and just show you the heart of God through the ministry of Jesus. Remember that Jesus represented His Father to reveal what His Father's like. So when we see what He does and how He treats people, we see what God is like. Okay then, so Jesus is in uh, Luke 13 and verse 10. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. That's a church place, a place where believers gather to hear the Word of God and, and to worship. And behold, there was a woman had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And she was bent over and could no way raise herself up. And when Jesus saw her, saw her, He called her to Him and said, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. He laid His hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Isn't that an amazing story? There's more to it, which we'll, we'll come back to. But there, there, let me just tell you, there are three issues that the woman faced. I want to talk about the three issues because Jesus is concerned about the whole person. His focus was not on demons. Demons are what get in the way when you try to advance the kingdom of God. And he was interested in her whole well-being. 
And so the woman had three problems that she struggled with. The first was she was oppressed by a demonic spirit. The Bible said she had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. What is the spirit of infirmity? Well, a spirit is a demonic being. It's an invisible, disembodied spirit being. It's in one place at one time. It can't be everywhere. They're either here or they're gone from here. That's how it is. So, so this woman, a spirit of infirmity had entered her body and then the result was a decline in her condition, her physical condition, which was incredibly severe. Demons can think, they can plan, they can talk, they can communicate, they work together. And the Bible tells us this woman had a spirit of infirmity and she was bowed down. That word bowed down literally means to be bent over and double completely over so your face is down towards the ground. Incredibly humiliating position to live your life. And that's what demons do. They destroy everything they gain access to. Notice there it tells us that the woman had the spirit of infirmity 18 years. Now, the Holy Ghost, when he puts things like details like that, there is always a reason for it. And so when you look, and, and the people of Israel, the Jews there, knew their Bible, knew their history. Twice in the history of Israel, they came into slavery as a nation to their enemies and were in bondage for 18 years. So this is more than just a woman being free. Jesus has selected this one particularly because it points to the whole nation being afflicted and bowed down and oppressed by demons and needing deliverance badly. 18 years. In Judges 3 verse 14, it tells us that Israel was oppressed by the Moabite nation. Moabites were the descendants of Lot through incest with his daughter. And so they were oppressed by the Moabites 18 years until they cried out to God and God delivered them. So 18 years pointed to the year of deliverance from bondage to their enemies. There's a second reference to it in Judges also, 10.8, 10, 8, they were oppressed by the Philistines and Ammonites for 18 years. Now, why were they oppressed by their enemies? And the answer is very clear. If you read there, it tells us that they served the gods of their enemies. They turned away from a heart relationship with God and connected instead with the Baals and Ashtoreth. And the Baals and the Ashtoreth, they were the gods that Jezebel worshipped. So if you look at Jezebel, she was the daughter of a Sidonian king who was a high priest, and they worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth. Baal was the god of prosperity, representing material wealth. Uh, he was the god of the weather, the god of the storms. His sign was a thun, like a lightning bolt, like Thor. Well, many of the things that are coming out in movies now are actually reviving the old gods that people used to worship and people don't see it or understand it. So they, they bowed down and worshiped the Baals and they also worshiped Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth, her name really uh, is, could be called Astarte or it actually goes back to Babylon called the Queen of Heaven and she was known 
when we talk about the spirit of Jezebel, that's the spirit we're talking about. And, and, and Ashtoreth or Astarte was known as the queen of heaven or the goddess that makes men into women and women into men. It was known as the goddess that emasculated men so they lost their authority, their leadership, and their masculinity. They become feminized. And it was the goddess that made women masculine. It took away their femininity and made them masculine. In other words, it blurred genders like that to make them indistinguishable from one another. That was what that that principality, global principality did. And so they worshiped it, they worshiped it through prostitution, they worshiped that goddess uh, through homosexual acts, uh, through temple prostitutes, and the god, the priests of, the, of, of, Ast- of Astarte, or the queen of heaven, were often dressed part male, part female, transgender in that sense. So when we look at some of the things that are emerging in the world, they are empowered by the same spirits that have been the enemy of God and his people right through the whole course of history. There are no new things happening. These are old things. And so every time Israel were drawn into the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth was often symbolized by a massive phallic symbol, uh, the wooden Asherah poles that they worshiped. They would sacrifice children. They would be involved in uh, perverse sexual activity. And people were drawn into this worship. They were drawn into bondage to demons through the worship of these idols. And as a result of that, God sold them, it says, sold them into captivity to their enemies. Well, what does it mean he's sold? Selling usually means you give over and you receive something. So what is going on in that selling or trading process? Very simply, they violated God's commands and orders. And as a consequence, justice had to be exercised. There had to be a consequence for their sin. And the consequence of their sin was the enemies were given the right and authority to rule over them. So they, they worship the gods of the Canaanites uh, and the gods of the Ammonites and Moabites, and those were the people that ruled over them. And so this, these things are right through the Bible. And this is the common problem all the way through the Bible. Now, wherever you have the worship of idols, the worship of false gods, you'll have rampant sexual perversion and immorality, and you'll also have spirits of infirmity and sickness. They go together hand in hand. And so that's some of the backgrounders. So, so when Jesus, when, when it says there that the woman was bowed down for 18 years, it's bringing to mind that Israel turned away from the true God and, 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 and worshiped substitutes and the result was they came into bondage. So what's happening here is the whole of the nation of Israel has turned from the living God and become legalistic and come into bondage to legalism and laws and lost the reality of a relationship with God and the result is infirmity, sickness and various other kinds of bondage. So you'll find when you look at the stories of Jesus there's much more in the details 
that tell us about, that the, the culture reveals. So how did the demon get in? It was in 18 years. That means 19 years ago she was free. 18 years ago, something happened that changed her life. Demons cannot enter people unless they're given a doorway, a gateway that they can enter through. And that gateway can be two major causes. One of them can be violating God's order for his kingdom, violating the laws of God, like having no other gods before me. When we violate the laws of God, demons legally are given right to gain access and they will not leave until they are cast out. Another way the demons can enter is through trauma or unhealed wounds. When we get hurt deeply by someone, and that's usually someone in our family, maybe a father, mother, someone close, if we don't resolve the wounds, unforgiveness allows tormenting spirits to enter. And Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 18 when he said in verse 34 and 35, if you won't from your heart forgive everyone their brother, you will be delivered to tormentors. Or in other words, tormentors have a legal right when we live in unforgiveness. That's why so many people who have holding bitterness and unforgiveness end up in mental institutions with problems of all kinds. The deep roots of bitterness are what are holding them there. So number one, we notice there that the woman then was oppressed by demonic spirit. Number two, she had a physical problem that was extremely incapacitating. It was a serious problem. The Bible tells us she was bent over. That word means to be totally bent over so your face is facing the ground. Now, when, you, when you're like that, if you try and walk, that's all you can do. You just can't do anymore and you can't see where you're going. You can't see anything except the earth. In other words, you're, not only is your mobility restricted, but your vision is restricted as well. You're looking down instead of looking up and ahead. Most of us get so used to looking up and ahead, we don't realize how severely limiting it is to have your head down like that and your back bent and you can't put anything but just shuffle along. It was a severe disability. No doctor could heal her. There was no answer to it because the root problem was a spirit. I remember I had a young man come up on a word of knowledge is in Singapore and uh, the Lord showed me someone had a, a pain in their right arm in the shoulder that the joint was in severe pain and this young man came up. And as he was coming up, the Lord spoke to me and said, he has holding bitterness against his father. This is a spirit of infirmity that entered him because of his bitterness. And I said to him, uh, how long have you had this? He said, it's been a, a while and it's getting worse. I said, how do you get on with your father? He said, oh, I love my dad. And I thought, well, help me here, Lord. And then the Lord gave me one more piece of information. I said, isn't it true your father travels a lot because of his work? He said, that's correct. And I said, isn't it true also he hasn't been there for you when you've needed or wanted him and you've slowly become resentful and bitter towards him? He said, that's true. And I said, well, the Lord has shown me that because of your bitterness and dishonor of your father, a spirit has now entered your life and the problem you have is not physical, that's why you can't fix it. It is actually generated by demonic spirit in your body. I said, are you willing to forgive your father and break agreements with all judgments you've made against him? And he said, yes. So I prayed for him and then we command the spirit of infirmity to go. He was free straight away. Now, but there's a bit more. 
He said, Pastor, he said, what I didn't tell you is it's not just my shoulder was in pain, all of my body was in pain. Every joint is in pain, and I've been to the doctor yesterday, and he said, by the age of 40, my back will be frozen, I will be unable to bend over at all. And then he bent over and just showed he's completely free, absolutely free like that. Found that something. So physical limitation. So, so many people, now notice the source is demonic, many people are bowed down, but not necessarily physically. You can be bowed down by fear. You can be bowed down by anxiety. You can be bowed down and crippled by lust, addictions, pornography. There are many things. You can be bowed down by witchcraft attack against you. You can be bowed down or pressured down. Remember Jesus came to heal all who are oppressed, held down and restricted. So there's many things. Discouragement can bow you down so you no longer look forward, you actually just survive. Discouragement. So there's many things. Generational curses can bow us down. Think about it. So you notice there then the woman has got a spirit of infirmity and a physical condition, which is the manifestation of this, and she had one other situation as well. This is also a serious situation. She lived in what's called an honor-shame culture, not a Western culture, Middle Eastern culture. In a Middle Eastern culture, uh, honor is the thing that's highly valued, and honor is bestowed on people because they're either born in a great family, wealth or whatever, or a famous family, or they achieve something great, but it's actually the value the community places on them. And of course, in those cultures, honor is sought and shame is to be avoided. No one wants to lose face. And so losing face is a terrible thing. But those people who have disabilities are considered to be a source of shame to their family and they hide them. They keep them out of sight. And often people who have physical disabilities are such a source of shame that people abuse them, throwing stones at them, cursing them and yelling at them and treating them very, very badly. So this woman not only had a spirit of infirmity and a physical condition, the third thing she suffered was humiliation and shame. Everywhere she went, she felt the shame of her condition and the people staring at her, pointing at her, talking about her, humiliating her. For her to even turn up in the meeting, there must have been something moving and driving her to come to that particular meeting. Okay? So that, that's the woman, see? So, so she was despised. Shame is an identity thief because it attacks who you are. So many people are bowed down with shame because they were abused, because something happened to them. So how did this woman get into this condition? Maybe she was involved in divination or some form of spiritism. Maybe she had a trauma, an accident, or maybe she was uh, sexually violated, a traumatic situation. Maybe she had come under the influence of witchcraft. We don't know, it doesn't tell us. Those are possible doorways. But she was tormented in her life. But she heard of Jesus and came where Jesus was. Now think about this. I don't know how far away she lived, 
but she had to go like this, it would have taken her hours to get there to the synagogue. And then when she's in the synagogue, she would be embarrassed about her condition, unable to sit near any of the men. She would probably be right at the very back in a corner and in her heart, a faith and a belief that Jesus could change her situation and her life. Now let's see what Jesus did. Notice here it says, Jesus saw her. It's the first, he saw, he's preaching in the synagogue and while he's preaching, saw her. He sees our condition. Now notice this, he stopped his preaching. No rabbi stopped their preaching for a woman. No rabbi stopped their preaching for anyone. Once they were up there, they wouldn't stop. He did not stop. He, he stopped and then he spoke to her. Now no rabbi would speak to a woman. But you see, Jesus is revealing the heart of God. He's not worried about what people think and he's not worried about who people are. God loves people and seeks to restore them. And so he not only spoke to him, he invited or called the woman to come to him because he saw not just a woman that's broken, he saw a woman that's desperate and has faith in her heart for a miracle. And so on the basis of that, it's miracles that get the movement of God. It's miracles that attract Jesus' attention. And she came. Now, it must have been a drama in the church as this woman shuffles all the way up to the front. And the, the religious leaders are furious because Jesus is violating all their protocols. And he not only spoke to the woman, he laid hands on her. No rabbi would lay hands on a woman. They would be ceremonially defiled. But Jesus is never defiled by anything. Jesus carries the power to transform things he touches. So Jesus lay, spoke to the woman, be loosed from that infirmity, laid hands on her, and she stood up and began to glorify God. An amazing miracle, but there's more happens in the story. And the next bits are really interesting, but I used to bypass it a lot because I didn't understand it until I understood it. Then I thought, oh, oh, that is something else. It says there, you just read on in the story what happened. Now, you'd think everyone would be happy like you're happy. And uh, it says the ruler, verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue was very angry because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's the legalism. No heart for people. It's all about the rules and keeping the rules. And, it's so, and it says, he said to the crowd, didn't speak to Jesus, there's six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, but not on the Sabbath day. Well, that's a real statement, isn't it? Because even no matter what day she came, they weren't gonna heal her. This, this is a religious thing of making an accusation. And Jesus then, now what's happening is this man is, uh, is presenting an honour challenge to Jesus. An honour challenge in the culture of those days, uh, people they feel, felt honour was you know, in short supply. So often if someone carried some honour, he would be publicly challenged. And the public challenge would go by this, the person has said or done something and they would be challenged publicly of what they'd said and done and they had to make a response. No response means you're defeated and humiliated publicly. If they make a response, then the people decide who is the winner of the honour challenge. So all Jesus' engagements with people like the Pharisees were all honour challenges. They were trying 
publicly to strip him of honour and publicly shame him so that people wouldn't follow him and they could walk out with their head up. So when there's an honour challenge, one walks up with their head high, the other walks out with their head down, they've been put to shame. That's why at the end, Jesus beat them at every one of these. And so at the end, they said they stopped asking him any more questions publicly and considered and planned how they would kill him because he had shamed them publicly over their condition and their lifestyle. So notice what Jesus said. It says there, Jesus spoke to him and said, you hypocrite, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the store and lead it away to water? Now notice he's talking now to the whole of the leadership of the church of his day, which was full of legalism, pride and hypocrisy. And he calls it out publicly, you hypocrite. On the Sabbath day, you treat an animal better than you treat a person. God loves people. And he says there, now notice what he does to the woman. This woman being a daughter of Abraham. Now, this is the only case in the Bible where he calls a woman a daughter of Abraham. He is now placing honour on her. He's considering her to be a woman of faith. He's declaring the reason she has a miracle, the reason she's standing out today is there's faith in her heart. She's got faith like Abraham had for the power of God to intervene in her life. He is honouring her publicly by declaring she's a woman of faith, a daughter of Abraham. Satan is bound 18 years. Should she not be loosed on the Sabbath? And it said, they did not answer him a word. They were silent and the crowd rejoiced and celebrated. And the day, that day, the woman that had come in with a spirit, with physical disability, with shame and dishonour, walked away being the centre of talk of the community of the miracle God had done and the honour Jesus had placed on her. Isn't that an amazing story? Why don't we give Jesus a clap, shall we? Come on, let's give Him a clap. Wow, it's, it's one, of the, one of the best stories. It is such a great story. And you notice here, the things that stand out is He saw her. And if you've got a condition today, tormented by a spirit, tormented by something in your life that you can't get a victory over, oppressed by spirits of some kind, Jesus sees it and He knows why it's there. And He invites you like He invited the woman to come to Him. It's not just about an altar call and about me praying for you. It's about actually coming to the one who sets you free. It's coming and opening your heart up to Him in expectation like she did. She got the miracle not because of her need, she got the miracle because of her faith. When we position ourselves with faith, we make room for the Spirit of God to come. Sometimes we need to disentangle. We've done things that have caused the problem. We need to just repent of them and turn back to God. Sometimes there are people who have wounded us and hurt us and we need to forgive them so we can receive the miracle God has. Whatever it is, God wants to set you free. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you very much. So much that He died on the cross for all of your sins that stood between you and God. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, all you need to do is to repeat this prayer. 
Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I'm not right with you, and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if God has done anything in your life because of this podcast, we would love to know. Email us at testimony at kingdomcity.com.